Simon was holding one side of the net and his brother Andrew was holding the other side and together the brothers threw the net, cast it out into the sea, of course hoping once again for a good catch of fish. Just as the net splashed down in the water, a stranger showed up. Rather abruptly, he said to uh, the two brothers, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, there was something fearfully mysterious about this stranger. There was a tangible sort of authority about him. So commanding was his presence that immediately, without any deliberation or hesitation, the brothers did what may have appeared to onlookers as irrational. They, they simply left their nets and followed him, no questions asked, and not knowing at that point where that initial obedience would lead them. But now what would happen if at the moment when God showed up and issued a specific call on a person's life, what would happen if that person said no to God's call and simply refused to follow him? Well, over the next several weeks, we're going to see what happens. As this new year begins, we're in the book of Jonah, and Jonah begins with a sudden and very abrupt call. God shows up unexpectedly in Jonah's life without any prior notice to interrupt Jonah's life. Right off the top of the book, God commands Jonah to follow him in missional obedience. The book of Jonah begins with these words. Now the word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh, came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now, who is this Jonah? Let's get to know him a little bit as we begin. The Jonah, who is mentioned here in verse 1, is the same Jonah who is described over in 2 Kings 14.25. Let's take time to read this verse together. He, and in the context here, the he is Jeroboam II, king of Israel, in the north. He, Jeroboam, restored the border of Israel from Labo Hamat as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-hefer. Now, some things to take note of here in 2 Kings 14.25, Jonah is described specifically in this verse as God's servant and as God's prophet, although very interestingly, nowhere in the book of Jonah itself is Jonah called a prophet. But here in 2 Kings 14.25, this situates Jonah as a prophet who was ministering during the reign of the northern king, Jeroboam II. So we know then that Jonah prophesied in the northern kingdom about 30 to 60 years prior 
to its fall to Assyria. And what was Jonah's prophetic claim to fame? Well, Jonah had prophesied that Israel would regain territory that had been lost in previous conflicts. And Jonah's prophecy, we need to know, came true. Which means, according to Deuteronomy 18, verse 22, that Jonah was a true prophet and not a false one. Jonah was a true prophet. Well, what else can we glean from this verse from 2 Kings 14.25 about our friend Jonah? Well, we also learn here that Jonah was from a town called Gat-Hefer. According to Joshua 19 verse 13, Gat-Hefer was within the territory of the tribe of Zebulun, meaning that more than likely Jonah was Zebulonite from the tribe of Zebulun. So to sum up then, Jonah is a true prophet. He was alive in the middle of the 8th century BC. He is of the tribe of Zebulun, and we should also note he hails from Gat-Hefer in the vicinity of Galilee, where much later, another prophet and priest and king would also emerge named Jesus. Now the word of, word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son, son of Amittai, saying, saying what exactly? Does God say to Jonah, hey Jonah, I wanted to ask you if you would be willing to run an errand for me. Does God ask for Jonah's thoughts here? Or does God say to Jonah this? Well, Jonah, let's have a discussion about whether you might want to obey uh, this command that I'm about to give you. And of course, the answer to those questions is no. God doesn't do either of those things. God simply, notice, commands Jonah and expects Jonah to obey what God has already decided upon what God has already decided upon. The sovereign commanding God shows up and says to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. Now friends, we need to notice this. The second verse represents a complete disruption of Jonah's life. If Jonah had been sitting under a warm blanket in front of a crackling fire with a mug of hot chocolate and some smooth jazz playing through his Bluetooth speaker, it's like the roof above him just suddenly caved in. God, you see, has barged in to Jonah's life. Sometimes God interrupts our lives. Amen? Sometimes God interrupts our lives. Sometimes God disrupts our comfortable, established patterns. 
And God requires, requires is not too strong a word, God requires obedience from us to follow him into the unknown. The question is, in those times, will we obey what God is calling us to do, or do we think we know better than God? Jonah's roof just caved in. Nineveh? God, I, I don't think I heard you right here. The line was breaking up. Can you repeat what you said? I thought for a second that I heard you say Nineveh, but of course, that can't be right. Yes, Jonah, I said Nineveh. Go to Nineveh with my word. Now, you and I have to step inside, if we can, step inside Jonah's shoes for a moment. Consider carefully what God wanted from Jonah. God wanted Jonah to travel hundreds and hundreds of miles to the northeast to a completely foreign place, indeed, to the land of Israel's enemies, to Assyria. God wanted Jonah to travel to one of the central cities, one of the royal cities of this most brutal, gory, godless, and violent empire of the time. I'll, I'll spare you the details of the savage and horrible things that went on in Assyria. It's enough to know that God wanted Jonah to travel into the heart of what was essentially a terrorist state. Jacques Ellul has called the Assyrians, quote, the most cruel people of antiquity. The most cruel people of antiquity. There's a lot of things that we can be known for. This was a people who were known for their cruelty. Jonah was being sent to their land, to the enemy's land, Jonah was being sent to the city that Nahum 3 verse 1 describes as bloody and all full of lies and plunder, Nineveh. And already in Jonah's day, his native Israel had been paying, by this time, had been paying heavy financial tribute to Assyria for decades, and they'd been doing that under the threat of invasion. These were not Jonah's friends by any stretch of the imagination. So friend, what if God showed up unannounced one day in your life and commanded you to get up, to arise, and to leave all that was familiar to you in order to go and set up camp where you're enemies lived, right in the heart of their territory where you did not know a soul, and where your life would be under serious threat, and you're not there to remain quiet, you're there to preach God's word against 
these enemies? The question is, would you do it? Would I do it? Would we follow God into that new territory with that uncertain future and that potential for danger? Well, I think perhaps now we can sympathize with Jonah. Perhaps we're not so different from Jonah after all. Arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and here's your mission. Here's the mission I want you to accomplish and to do. Call out against it. And why? Because, says God, their evil, their lawlessness, their violence, their savagery, their chaos, the bad way that the Ninevites are in has come up to my face. That's literally what the Hebrew says here. Their evil has come up to my face. It's right in front of my nose, Jonah. Right in front of my eyes. Jonah was to go with God's message of judgment against Nineveh. Get that? His message of judgment. Jonah was to preach against Nineveh, but that message of judgment, we need to understand, that message was intended to do what? To create repentance in Nineveh, in the people of Nineveh. And this pattern of a message of judgment that is given so that, might, so that people might repent, this pattern is expressed by God very clearly in Jeremiah 18, verses 7 and 8, where God says, If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. So then we know that God wants Jonah to bring this message of impending judgment to Nineveh so that Nineveh might turn from their wickedness, which would mean then that God would relent of bringing the foreboding disaster. Now, friends, if God didn't care about the savage, brutal, wicked, godless, merciless people of Nineveh, if he didn't care about them, he would not have interrupted Jonah's life, commanding Jonah to go to Nineveh. To paraphrase Richard Phillips here, even though Nineveh was chock full of God deniers, God was refusing to deny them. Yes. God wanted his mercy extended to these terrorists. See, God's mission extends to the ends of the earth and brutal Nineveh was part of the ends of the earth. They were within those bounds. God's mission is to your enemies and to my enemies also. God called his prophet to go to Nineveh. Aren't you thankful this morning that God's heart is not our heart? Now, many of us know the whole story of Jonah. We know how ridiculous Jonah will act. 
So why would God call this person then, God being sovereign, why would he call this guy to undertake his very important mission to Nineveh? Certainly, God's choice wasn't based on any outstanding character in Jonah or faith that Jonah exercised or virtue that God saw in Jonah. Why Jonah? And the question is, why me? Why you? God has his own reasons. And here's the thing. When God issues a specific call on a person's life and that person refuses the call, God does not simply walk away. We'll learn that as we go through Jonah. God does not simply give up. We're going to see this working itself out as the story progresses. God has sovereign ways and sovereign means of making sure that what he's decided upon gets done. So then Jonah's roof has caved in, as we said. Jonah can't sit now in complacency like he did before this moment happened. Either he obeys obeys God and goes to Nineveh, or he does not. But what's clear now is that Jonah's life can never be the same as it was. He's been placed at a crossroads. What will he do? Verse 3. God had set Nineveh as Jonah's destination in Google Maps. Jonah closes Google and he throws his phone in the garbage. Jonah will not go to Nineveh. And we notice here that Jonah doesn't bother to discuss God's command with God. Jonah doesn't pray anything back to God about the command. He doesn't argue verbally with God. Jonah just flees. God may have concern and compassion for Nineveh. Jonah most certainly does not. And he doesn't want to talk about it. But Jonah rose to flee, to flee like the prodigal son had fled away from his father. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, Tarshish, the exact opposite direction of where God had commanded him to go. Jonah rose to go to Tarshish. Jonah rose to go to the southwest coast of Spain, to a place that Isaiah 66 verse 19 calls a coastland far away. Jonah may be a true prophet, as, as we've said already, but now Jonah, he's a true prophet, but he's a disobedient prophet. He's going to Spain. Now somewhere, as we look at this text, somewhere in between verse 2 and verse 3, somewhere in there, Jonah concluded very solidly on his decision to say no to the call of God. His action... In verse 3, his action of rising and fleeing is the outcome of his no decision. 
God called his prophet to Nineveh, and Jonah said no. Jonah knew as soon as he decided to say no to God, he knew that his life as a prophet in Israel was done. Would God continue to speak to a prophet who disobediently refused God's command? Probably not, concluded Jonah. Would God continue to give a disobedient Jonah prophetic words to utter to his countrymen? Most likely not, concluded Jonah. And if God's prophet were to suddenly go silent like this before his own people with no word of God coming from him, then everybody would certainly start to wonder what was going on. There's something wrong. So then it was time to get out. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. It was time to flee Israel, to go far away, to start a new life. They say Tarshish is beautiful this time of year. Jonah's established life as a prophet had now come to an abrupt end in his estimation since he refused to go to this foreign place called Nineveh. May as well go far away to another foreign place called Tarshish. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. T.D. Alexander argues here, and I agree, that this phrase from the presence of the Lord, it simply describes, it's a way of describing Jonah's rebellion against God's sovereign call. Jonah is trying to flee his responsibility before God to prophesy in Nineveh. He thinks, Jonah thinks, that by his action, he will somehow manage to escape the call that God has put on his life. But what's Jonah going to find out Jonah's going to find out how true Psalm 139 really is. There's nowhere, (laughs) nowhere that Jonah can go to flee from God's Spirit. There is no way for us, for you and for, for me, there's no way for us to flee God's presence. What does Psalm 139 say? If we ascend to heaven, guess who's there? God is there. If we make our bed in Sheol, God is there. There is no escaping the hound of heaven. And Jonah is about to have that truth made very, very real to him, and he's about to find out that what Proverbs 21 verse 30 declares is likewise always true. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. Now friends, it's just as true for us as it was for Jonah. And I want you to listen here. That in times when we are resisting God's call, when we are kicking against God's purposes, rebelling against his instruction, that that even then, even in those times of rebellion, circumstances in our lives can often appear on the ground 
to be very favorable to us. Even as we are kicking against God and rebelling against him and resisting, circumstances on the ground can appear very favorable to us. And we fool ourselves into thinking, well, God must be okay with me after all. I mean, look at this golden opportunity that has just presented itself to me. It means that I am blessed of God. Does it? Does it mean that? Look, Jonah, he's running from God. Jonah is disobeying God. Jonah is rebelling against God. And in his time of disobedience... Jonah experiences some happy circumstances. Verse 3, he went down to Joppa, rebellious, resisting, kicking against God. He went down to Joppa and what? Found a ship going to Tarshish. Perfect. And so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah fortuitously, imagine that, he finds a ship that's heading to his chosen destination, to Tarshish. Imagine that, he finds a ship that's now boarding, going right where he wants to go, and it's right there, right now, in Joppa, where Jonah is. And Jonah, even though he apparently fled in such haste after God's very difficult command, he fled real quick, now he just happens to have on him all the funds that are required to board the ship. Imagine that. It would be so easy for Jonah to think to himself in this moment, this is all providentially arranged. But the lesson for us here is perhaps, I think, best expressed by the theologian William Banks, who said this very memorable sentence. Banks said, when a person decides to run from the Lord, Satan always provides complete transportation facilities. Again, when a person decides to run from the Lord, Satan always provides complete transportation facilities. Yes, this ship was here at this moment bound for Tarshish. Yes, Jonah just happened to have the necessary fare on him. That's all true. But none of that, friends, meant that God was smiling on Jonah. As Colin Smith says, There will always be a ship in the harbor ready to take you in the wrong direction. So don't confuse opportunity with the will of God. One more time, there will always be a ship in the harbor ready to take you in the wrong direction. So don't confuse opportunity with the will of God. My friends, you cannot trust circumstances if you are resisting God's word. As many commentators on Jonah have pointed out, Jonah's actual physical direction in verse 3 is a downward direction. Jonah goes down to Joppa, and Jonah then goes down into this ship, 
and he's not done going down yet in the story, by the way, but this downward physical direction is a direct reflection of Jonah's downward spiritual direction. Jonah is going down in more ways than one, and he hasn't quite reached the bottom yet. And so we have this twofold use of down in verse 3. We also have the place name Tarshish repeated three times in the verse, Tarshish, Tarshish, Tarshish. Why this rep, uh, repetition within this, this single verse? It's to hammer home that Jonah is on a disobedient travel plan when he should be going to Nineveh. Tarshish, Tarshish, Tarshish. And we also have the phrase, from the presence of the Lord, repeated twice in this verse, once near the start and once right at the end of the verse, almost like brackets. Why? To stress the seriousness of Jonah's rebellion. So that the whole verse, we can see, is artfully crafted to emphasize the sheer folly of Jonah, Tarshish, 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 from the presence of the Lord, from the presence of the Lord, down, down. The, the whole verse is meant to showcase for us Jonah's defiance. And we wonder here, had Jonah forgotten or was he simply ignoring Genesis 12, verse 3, where God had very clearly said that by the family of Abraham, that is, by the nation of Israel, how many families of the earth would be blessed? All, all the families of the earth would be blessed, which would include the Ninevites. God's heart was always for the nations. And he created Israel with Jonah in Israel to be the vehicle of his blessing to the nations. But you see, Jonah, for his part, he drew the line at the Ninevites. Any other nation, sure. But there was no way that this prophet of God would go on God's errand to Nineveh. There was no way that Jonah would carry God's love to Jonah's enemies. Well, friends, on this first Sunday of, second Sunday, I guess, of 2022 now, I rejoice that the greater than Jonah has come and how different from Jonah he is. In Luke 24, 47, the risen Jesus, he expressed the heart of God. We're gonna talk a lot about the heart of God as we go through the book of Jonah, how different it is, how contrastive it is often to our hearts. But the risen Jesus expressed the, the heart of God. He expressed God's ongoing mission to all the nations. Luke 24, 47, when he said this, repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. God's heart for all nations has never changed. It carries right through Scripture. God's heart for the nations included wicked Assyria. And God commanded Jonah to go there with his word because Nineveh was facing imminent judgment. And Jonah, prophet from Galilee, refused. 
But listen to what happened with Jesus from Galilee. Colin Smith explains it very beautifully when he says this, quote, Jesus was in heaven, listen to this, Jesus was in heaven ruling the universe by the word of his power. Adored by angels, he was in the best place, doing the best work and enjoying the best life. Then the father said, go to another place where you will be utterly rejected. Live a life that will lead to torture, crucifixion, and death. Do the work of becoming an atoning sacrifice for people I love who are facing eternal judgment. And Jesus said, yes. Yes, my friends, Jesus is indeed greater than Jonah. Jesus came into our fallen squalor and Jesus sacrificed his life for all of us Ninevites. Romans 5 verse 6, at the right time Christ died for who? The ungodly. The better than Jonah sacrificed his very life for ungodly Ninevites like me and like you, for Jonah's like us. Romans 5 verse 8, while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, verse 10, while we were enemies, Ninevites, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Praise God and hallelujah. Jonah pretended to know better than God. Have you done that? I know I sure have. He pretended to know better than God and he paid the fare to Tarshish. And so Jonah's heart was shown to be drastically out of sync with God's heart. I ask you, what about our hearts? How much Jonah is in us? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Do we draw lines like Jonah did, thereby showing our hearts to be out of sync with God's heart, even though we may talk a good Christian game. Jonah was a prophet. Do we reason to ourselves, well, I'm justified in being angry with this person. Why would I go to help that person? I would rather harm that person. Just like Jonah. Or do we say to ourselves, well, that person really hurt me. I'll avoid her instead of actively showing love to her in the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, if we say that, it's the Jonah in us. Or do we say, well, that person has different political ideas than I do. They support the wrong candidate. Why should I show love to him? And on 
and on and on. Jonah was a prophet of God. If you will, we might say that Jonah was a good Christian. But inside his heart, there was sewage. What about us? May the hound of heaven pursue us by his word today and may he heal us. May he correct us. May he right our path. May he forgive and cleanse us as we continue to confess to him our Jonah-like rebellion. May our eyes be ever fixed on the greater than Jonah, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, the joke's on us if we look at any biblical character and distance ourselves from him or her if they're bad guys. Lord, in your word, you are interpreting us. We like to think we are masters of your word, going to your word to interpret it, but you are in the business of interpreting us, showing us our hearts, making us sometimes uncomfortable, rooting things out that need to be rooted out. If we would be transformed into the image of your son. Lord, I thank you that the book of Jonah shows this disparity, this gap between your heart and ours, and that it is redemptive. Lord, you are wanting to pull us toward your heart, transform us so that we're not the same today as tomorrow, this hour to next hour. You are always in the business of transforming us and changing us. We thank you for that. And I pray for each and every person listening that the Holy Spirit would come work especially heavy, Lord, this week in a transformative, redemptive way. In Jesus' name, amen.